we go on a Friday. Oh, my goodness. It's the John Curley, Sherry Ellico Show. Yes. Yes, you with an insatiable appetite for a unique combination of news and entertainment, which we'd like to call what, Andrew? I'm sorry. I can't remember. Off the top of my head. But no, Shaman, here's comes Sherry. Hey, little girl, better have something made it. Something that to go to the city and dim all the lights. All the while, start the music. Yeah. Time to get ready. To do a radio show? (laughs) This song came out in the mid-60s, and Jack Jones sang it, and then the sort of the women's lib feminist revolution took over, and it completely and utterly destroyed his career. What's what's so offensive about it? Oh, and... Do you want to hear it, really? Yeah, I mean, it's like because he calls her a little girl. No, 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 no. It's Andrew will get it for you. So it's a part where, so basically saying wives must always be lovers. So your guy's going to go off to work in the office and there's going to be women in the office. And if you leave, well, Andrew will play some of the things that most people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe, I can't believe they sang that. Don't think because... There's a ring on your finger. You need to try anymore. Yeah. For why should always be lovers too? Yeah, Sherry. Run to his arms. The moment he comes home to you. Oh, here's the warning. Here's the warning. Ready? Day after day, there are girls at the office. Men will always be men. Look out, Sherry. Don't send him off with your hair still in curlers. You may not see him again. That's right. He goes off the office. He gets your hair in curlers. He never comes home again. We'll always be lovers, too. Run to his arms the moment he comes home to you. He's almost here. There you go. That's you, Sherry. Okay? No, actually, that's my mom. I told you about that. When my dad would come home from work, right before he got home, she put all of her makeup on. She dolled herself up. And, and I'd say, what? Why, why are you doing this? You didn't have that done all day. Uh-huh. And she'd say, because no man wants to come home to a woman who looks like she's been, you know, in the house all day. I am strong. <laughs> With my hair and curlers. I'm <laughs> oh, an ass coat. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're always doing good things, the people in Olympia. The division between the right and the left. The left just believe that they're going to just redistribute wealth from people that earn it, give it to people that don't necessarily or desperately need it for whatever reason they don't have it. They'll take it and give it to whatever sort of bucket they can, either for food or for housing. In this particular case, they decided they would like to cap. The idea is they're going to cap rent at 5%. So that would be the maximum. So the crazy thing is when um, they asked the people of Seattle, the voters of Seattle, hey, do you want to approve this new levy? And they're like, yeah, 
Yeah, raise the rent. Raise the property taxes. Oh, I'm sorry, not rent. Raise the property taxes. So they raise the property taxes, and guess what happens? Everybody's rents goes up. So in this particular case, you wouldn't be able to raise the rent any more than 5% a year. Corey Brewer from the uh, Windermere Property Manager is going to tell us about what this will do in the market. We know what this does. Whenever you create a disincentive for somebody to invest in something, people don't invest in it, you get less of it, right? You get less of it. And if you get less of it, you get less supply. That means demand remains the same. Supply remains low, and that drives the price up. So the people in Olympia think what they're going to do is everybody a favor by trying to cap rent. So big mistake. Anything to say on it, Sherry? I know as a landlord, you are sensitive to not losing your tenants. Oh, right. You don't want to lose your tenants. And if you've got a really good one, I, I would say most people won't raise the rent very much because they want to keep them. And it's the, it, you know, you're saving money considering if you got a bad tenant, it would cost you money. Um, but I think we have a, a package from Como News oh, uh, about oh, it. Oh, look at you. Like look at more. you calling for packages. Huh? <laughs> at a time when the price of just about everything seems to be going up. Some Seattle renters tell us they are struggling to pay for much beyond housing and bills. Over the past year, did you see a big rental increase? A couple hundred dollars, probably. How does that impact you? You know, just got to budget more, um, less freedom. Let me just explain to this gentleman here a couple of things that have increased your rent. One, they screwed landlords when they stopped when they put the moratorium on during the lockdown. One, two, the uh, people of Seattle love the fact that minimum wage goes up. When minimum wage goes up, you have to pay more for the person coming in to fix your apartment. Three, when you vote for taxes, you don't realize that when you oh it sounds great you're going to take a bunch of money out of somebody's pocket and you're going to build affordable housing for the homeless. Well, guess where that money comes from? It comes from you because the land. Landlord passes everything on. Everything like water flows all the way down to the bottom. And for the tenant, it means an increase in rent. To prevent excessive rent increases, state lawmakers are proposing a pair of bills that would let landlords raise rent at a max of 5% a year. It comes with support from some who rent out smaller properties. There are nearly 2.5 million renters in our state who have to decide every year whether they can still afford to stay in their communities. Under this proposal, someone paying 2000 a month for a one-bedroom in Seattle could only be charged an additional $100 a month to renew. Lawmakers backing these bills argue that rents have increased at a rate surpassing inflation and wage growth and that programs like Social Security can't keep up. Meanwhile, the Rental Housing Authority of Washington opposes House Bill 2114 and Senate Bill 5961. They believe both would keep builders from investing in housing projects in Washington. Instead, the group is promoting the state start a voucher program for those most in need of rental assistance. There's no reason that the rent should be capped at 5% for a Amazon tech worker making $300,000 a year. Kaylee Mitchell rents out property and claims she would be able to swing the 5% max, but says other property owners with higher interest rates and mortgages might not be so lucky. We've got to figure it out so that people can actually have a home to live in. Also, this proposal would not change the rate that a property owner can charge a new tenant. For now, reporting live in downtown Seattle, Jackie Kent, come on in. It seems so silly, so simple, right? It is to the laws of supply and demand don't all of a sudden stop applying to rentals or housing. How about this? Make it easier to build. Stop the uh, arduous process for permitting. 
Stop the $45,000 that the city makes you spend on permitting. Why not move the stuff through faster? Get rid of that Growth Management Act crap and allow people to be able to build without the additional cost and let them do it more quickly. You know, they built the Empire State Building, what, like in 18 months? They built the Pentagon in one year. Now, of course, they work 24 hours around the clock, and I think like 32 people died. But aside from that, you can build quickly. They can build an entire gigantic hotel in China in less than like a couple of months or something. Of course, most people working there under the age of seven. But the great thing is, if you reduce the permit restrictions, of course, you want to make sure they're safe. But stop all of the crap in between. Create more homes. You'll drive down the cost of rent. You'll drive down the cost of new homes because you'll have more supply. It's really simple. Trying to cap it on the other side doesn't do anything other than reduce the supply. So in St. Paul, Minnesota, they decided we're going to cap it at 3%. Guess what happened when it came to new building permits, Sherry? Nothing. 48% decline. Mm-hmm. So when you say to the landlord or to the person that's building an apartment, you can't make any more than 3% or increase of these things. When they reduce the revenue you can make, you think people are going to build more apartments or less? Well, they had a 48% decrease in permits for new apartments. Why? Because you're saying to the landlord, you know what? You can't make any money in this business. So you just go somewhere else. I mean, it's not that hard to figure it all out. It's just, uh-oh, um, uh, uh. What's the matter? Joe turned on his microphone. Oh, Did I? Okay. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Didn't you? Tell I was going to tell you. No, I didn't. What's but since you brought it up, uh, save some of that for 3.30. Okay. Thank you. I will. Yep. Excellent. That's good news to me. Yeah. By the way, uh, Jason Rand says they are trying to bankrupt um, uh, gun store owners. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. He's a troublemaker. And you know he is. Just like that. Well, I don't want to interrupt the flow too no, much. You got it. I'm fine. Didn't know there was a flow. Uh, so, <laughs> so if you own a gun shop, they don't want any guns to be sold to the state of Washington. That's what it certainly seems. Because in this case, they're just trying to stop you from being able to have a gun store. There's a guy and the restrictions on this stuff. It's just crazy. It's like, oh, people are going to come in and steal all your guns. You're going to need to have a bunch of insurance, lock them all up. And here's one of the things they want to do. This guy is Michael Finley. He uh, testified about the cost. This is House Bill 2118. Now, these are just bills that are out there just sort of trying to find their feet. And hopefully this one gets shot down. But listen to the cost that it would be if you had a gun shop in the state of Washington. We have a lot of problems with this bill. But one of the things is it is duplicative and is cost prohibitive. By our calculations for six years of video on record at any point of time. So they want you to basically be running video. 24 hours a day in your gun shop in case somebody comes in, steals something or somebody comes in to buy a gun. They want to be able to see the person buying the gun. So they want you to store it, Sherry, for six years, six years of storage for an average 2000 to 3000 square foot store that would require 12 cameras of this bill would require nearly 4000 terabits of space. To put that in perspective for you, the cost over five years, not six years, because they don't calculate that high, would be $3.3 million per store just to comply with this bill. It's absolutely going to put out every dealer in the state. And that's not a sensationalistic thing to say. How about that? 
Yeah, they they want uh, video surveillance 24 hours a day. They estimate that would cost about $700,000 per store. Yep. They want to have this big door. They need a door or grates, a security screen, commercial-grade metal doors. Uh, the firearms all have to be locked in a fireproof safe or a vault. They have to have liability insurances for $100,000 per incident. And like you said, retrain, uh, trace re- requests from law enforcement for six years. Mm-hmm. Because they think, okay, I know what we need to do. Let's stop the sale of legal guns in the state of Washington, and that'll reduce the homicide rate, which, by the way, spiked and set a record going back to, I think, since 1994. Yeah, those criminals that are busting into the uh, convenience stores or going into pot shops and shooting people in the head, they're going, first of all, to the local gun store and legally buying a gun and then taking that gun after they legally buy it and fill out all the stuff and then going and shooting and killing somebody with it. Next, another interesting story that's in the news. That's according to you, Popeye. Finally, Sherry, <laughs> uh, we can welcome the sunset back. Uh, coming back to 5 p.m. I guess that's today. Is that a big deal? Yeah. Well, huh? kind of. I mean, it's the first uh, after or 5 p.m. sunset. Didn't one of us uh, predict about- that the sunset would start at 5 p.m. again? Didn't one of us predict that? I did. That's good news to me. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a few uh, days <laughs> that since the, it's been 82 days since you've seen a five o'clock sunset. OK. Um, and in June, yes. uh, you'll have 16 hours ah, of sunlight. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Each day gains two point five minutes of daylight. Got it. Hey, good news. Every... OK, really? I know. I know. It's a bit it's very obvious. Yeah. Joe told you to do that, didn't he? No, no, no. no. We need to get a transition out of that because guess who's coming to town? Justin Timberlake. So according to Joe, the newsroom was squealing with la- with loud, squealing loudly, loudly, with the announcement that Justin Timberlake was coming to Seattle in May. Oh yeah, first tour in five years. He. Um, Put out a new single today called Selfish. Uh-huh. It's called the Forget Tomorrow Tour. It's going to oh. be a Climate Pledge, Pledge Arena on May 2nd. Who is, second, who is squealing? Did you, did, was it Nate squealing? Who was squealing mostly? Was <laughs> Nate it? squealed a little bit. Most of it was from the ladies on this side of the newsroom. The ladies? Yeah, there you go. Oh. Count What's my wife this side of the newsroom? Well, <laughs> that, that, fair. You couldn't see that. The, uh, the, the web side of the newsroom, if that makes any sense to you, I'm not sure, Sherry. Sorry, does that okay. mean anything to you? Would you squeal <laughs> if you heard that Justin Timberlake was coming to town? I have no problem with him, but I probably wouldn't squeal. Can you play a bit of the clip of him with uh, Chris Stapleton? Yeah. Wow, you like it? Oh, I was there for that. You really? Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. I, I can't. I can't play it. You can't? No, because my computer won't. I, got, I got you. I got you. Hang on. Yeah, we're not. I look for love. Where, where was this? Uh, Nashville, CMA Awards, 2015. That's Justin, obviously. His voice got a little deeper, but still. Here we go. I love him. So good. Nice. All right. God. 
I hate the way you guys just cut it off like that. I don't have a fade out button. Otherwise, I would have used it. Okay. Yeah, it's just like I'm right in the middle of it. <laughs> it's good though, right? Threw Sherry off too. Oh. Jurian fell out of her chair over there. <laughs> hey, how's my? Do I still look embalmed? No, you look better. You look a little better. A little yeah. color. Okay. Hey, you got some color. Did you go down the shore, get some color? You got color. Uh, Corey Brewer stops by to tell us what the effects will be when they decide if this thing passes, where they're going to cap everybody's rent at 5%. Affordable housing. We hear it over and over and over again. I don't know how many times they said it in Olympia in the last couple of days as they were looking at a number of bills to be able to make it more affordable. Corey Brewer joins us, Vice President of Residential Operations, Windermere Properties Management. You ready to throw a big bucket of cold water on all this talk, Corey? <laughs> Hi, John. Thanks get, for having me sure. today. Sherry's with us, and she's also a landlord, so you guys can get all, you know, when you get off the air, you guys can commiserate about, you know, tenants and stuff like that. But when you okay. sit there as a guy that knows the numbers and knows the effects, when you start to stop... Um, uh, what landlords can charge and then the additional sort of burdens on landlords because we all know they have the long mustache and they tie people up and yeah. put them on railroad tracks and then they when they say they can't pay the rent they say you must pay the rent as the train is bearing down on them did you get a chance to testify in the last couple of days did you did you tell them what the reality would be if you tried to cap rent at five percent yeah uh the testimony i gave recently uh was along the lines of how um there's no any there's no kind of caps on operating expenses and that's a really important piece of the conversation if 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 i'm going to you know be outputting money to own and operate and uh, maintain rental housing uh, those costs are going to go up my income is going to be restricted and now i start to get upside down um, i can't do this anymore yeah so when you raise taxes that tax is passed on to the tenant. When you increase minimum wage, that is also passed on to the tenant. When you have inflation, that's passed on to the tenant. All of this. We have seen it in various cities where they put caps on rent and you see a reduction in supply because, one, people are not going to build, and, two, people that do have it, they can't make the money, they end up selling that property, and then you have less supply. I mean, they're actually passing laws that are going to make rent higher. Did, do, do light bulbs go off when you explain this to these guys that are sitting there and these women sitting there? It's a philosophical debate. Um, wait, 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 wait. Corey, what's the other side? Who argues against the laws of supply and demand? <laughs> um, uh, I, I would say people who are looking at short-term solutions. Um, and what you described, uh, you know, becomes the long-term effect. And when we look back on this 10, 15 years later, that's when we say, oops, that was the wrong decision. Hopefully people understand that. Um, the, the, the goal here, I think, from people who propose these kind of things and support them is we, we want a right now solution. Um, and, you know, the consequences down the road that we're not too worried about that right now. Mm. So, Corey, a lot of people are asking, I guess, landlords to be sympathetic to the fact that there just isn't enough housing and mm -hmm. uh, people have to move out or move to a, uh, an area that's farther away from where they work just to be able to afford to live. Mm -hmm. It is sad to hear that. I mean, what, what, how do you respond when someone brings that up to you that somehow landlords, and I'm a landlord, I don't think this is yeah. true, um, have the responsibility to take care of those people in some aspect? 
Yeah, I, I, I think one of the John mentioned supply. Um, I think that's really where the conversation should be going. Um, there, there were some zoning laws that changed. They're going to open up the ability to have increased density. Uh, I think those, those are the things that people should be looking at uh, in terms of creating more opportunities for housing for people, as opposed to what you described, Sherry, of um, any individual landlord or group of landlords being the ones who are responsible to solve this problem right now. Um, and I think that is a way where we can, you know, in the long run, get to a place where people do have the ability to have more choices and live closer to where they work, for example. Talking to Corey Brewer, Vice President of Residential Operations, Windermere Properties Management. How many uh, properties do you manage at this point, Corey? Right around 2,000. How many of your tenants are behind on rent? Uh, it's a pretty small percentage. It is. Why is that? Um, well, we have a pretty thorough screening process. Uh, the types of properties that we manage aren't necessarily the, the target of this type of legislation, but we get wrapped up into it because it's such a broad policy. Um, we, we tend to uh, represent single-family homes, a little bit higher price points, and our particular tenant clientele, um, you know, they have great jobs and, and uh, great credit. Uh, so we're pretty low risk in that regard. Was that Corey we heard say the bite about uh, Amazon guys that are making three hundred thousand dollars? No, there was so. somebody else with. So. <laughs> They're like, why are you capping right on those guys that are making three hundred thousand dollars? I think part of the philosophical right. discussion or argument you have, you probably have a small percentage of people that are sitting there, elected officials, that believe housing is a right. Uh, correct, and uh, under no circumstances should anyone. Um, make a dime off of it. Mm-hmm. Well, just as a real-world example, Corey, what, what have you guys done as far as raising rents in some of your properties? Do you find that, you know, they gave examples of, you know, that like 900,000 people had a rent increase of $200 and some up to $500 yeah. a month. What, what is your schedule for that kind of thing? Sure. Well, there's no schedule. I mean, every, almost every single home that we manage is owned by a different client. Right. We, we are truly a mom and pop brokerage. Um, so we don't have any model or algorithm or anything like that. Um, it's hard to say in terms of hard dollar amounts, whether it's 200 or 500, because we have such a widespread of, of the values of homes that we represent. I mean, we've got homes that are up to $20,000 a month, luxury properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd say more as a percentage, uh, we were looking at, uh, well, it really depends on what the market is doing. Um, some years we, we might be in the five to seven range. Other years we might be in the two to three range. So let's, some years it might be flat, it, you right. know, depending on, yeah. What's going on in the what's overall economy. So let's say that somebody has got uh, 20 units. I would consider them a small mom pa. They've got 20 units. So they're not allowed to raise the rent on that tenant um, any more than 5%. <clears throat> it, is it also, do you have inflation in, included in there? Or is it just flat 5%? No, it's flat. So some of these proposals would tie to inflation or consumer price index. Uh-huh. Um, some of them... Uh, the, the one that they wanted to do last year was extremely complicated. Um, this year is much more streamlined, but it is a hard cap, and it does not account for those types of things that you described. So 20 units, let's say two people move out, so now two units are available. Does a landlord at that point, are they able to go above the 5% cap? Uh, correct. So what's on the table here uh, 
would be with regard to renewals or extensions or anything with an occupied unit and that same tenant going forward. New tenancies would not be affected. Okay, so if I were the landlord, I'm stuck at 5% for the 18. We're using the 20-unit uh, mm-hmm. example. So I'm 18 or stuck there at 5%. I'm barely making money on it. In fact, I might even be losing money on those. So when the two available units come up into the marketplace, I'm going to take that rent and take it up because I'm going to try to cover my losses on the 18. So the, now the two that are available to the tenant majority of the tenants looking won't be able to afford those two open units because I have to increase the price of those units to cover basically either the loss or the the flat revenue I'm generating on the other 18. Is, is that a scenario you, that makes sense? You, you have to spread it out somehow. Yeah. yeah, right. Right. But as you say, if you're sitting there looking at these elected officials and they feel as if this should just be a gift to the tenant and housing is a right and you shouldn't make money on it uh, and you should just weather all of the tax increases, the minimum wage increases, inflation and all the rest, that you just bear the brunt and then you just sit at home every night going, well, like we're not making any money. We're losing money, but at least somebody's got an apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Corey... <laughs> Do you have any numbers on how many people just sell their homes because they don't want to be a landlord anymore? I mean, I've almost done that a couple of times because it's just too much trouble. It's too much liability, all of that. Have you found that to to be true uh, since some of these proposals have come forward and it looks like it's going in that direction? Yes, that that has been a pattern. Um, the, The two things that are happening is that, yeah, we've got quite a few people who are doing that. They just they look at their risk profile and just say, this is getting more and more difficult. I don't want to do this anymore. So they sell their home. Um, now, some of the data on that it isn't going to be available immediately because they might have a great relationship with their current tenant. But when that tenant chooses to leave, they now they're it's too risky of an environment to go out and find the next one. And so at that point, they sell. So th- this could be happening years down the road, the ultimate result being the same. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I lost the second part. Of your, oh, the, the other thing that's happening is that a lot of people who have historically uh, owned and operated and managed their own personal rentals um, have, have seen this risk profile grow and it becomes so much more complicated to do it on their own. And so they come and hire a firm like mine, which is great for us. Right. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's fantastic. But they're bringing on a new operating expense and that very well may result in, uh, you know, future higher rents than they other would have otherwise would have charged because their carrying costs and operating costs are now higher. I don't know whether it was Milton Friedman or Thomas Sowell said uh, the there's only two ways you can devastate an entire community. One is carpet bombing, and the other is rent yeah. control. Well, yeah. uh, Corey Brewer, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a uh, fabulous weekend as you are the Vice President of Residential Operations at Windermere Properties, and we appreciate your time on the John Curley Sherry Ellicker Show. Likewise. Thank you very right. much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye. Teeny in a great mood, but oh shoot, Joe, I gotta write a couple of quiz questions because don't forget the know it all quiz coming up today. You get a chance to get on the radio, we're gonna answer five, four at this point, zero questions I've written all day, <laughs> <laughs> and you win yourself a 
Box of Bite Me Cookies, Teeny Tiny Lady, right over there. Hello! Hello! What, what, I'm sorry, what'd you say, Teeny? What'd you say? Hello, potato. Ah, she's talking to her potatoes again, Jerry. <sighs> <clears throat> I'm surprised you're not digging in on this story. This is the Kansas City Chief football fans watching the game. Then they die. There's three of them. They're at this guy's house. Now, the parents are alleging, as we're following along in this one, that apparently, according to the parents, that the guys that were found dead outside this guy's home apparently, quote-unquote, saw something they shouldn't have. Close quote. That's their working theory. They're doing what they should do. They are keeping the story alive and in the media Mm -hmm. because that puts pressure on the police to actually do something. Because if it just goes away, and they said point blank, they are not investigating this as a homicide. So they've given this guy, should he be guilty, um, a running start. He moved out of the house. He had time to get rid of whatever evidence. This is all... In, in case this is something that that he uh, he participated in, there's no proof of that. There's no uh, nothing, no evidence to suggest that right now. But what they think is that he showed them something or told them something, thought better of it, and then had to kill them, <laughs> which is a little preposterous because um, I, I, I mean that just doesn't doesn't seem. Right. I mean, it seems as preposterous as to, as to think that this guy, who is a kind of renowned scientist in both COVID and HIV research, um, would kill his three friends. As the story was first reported, they watched the Kansas City Chief game. They went outside. They were out there, three of them, and they might have died from exposure. Hypothermia killed them. The guy's in the house, unaware that his three friends hadn't come back in again. Then the second, now the second part of the story is, no, no, no. Game is over. Then they all watched Jeopardy. And then three of them went outside and died, which doesn't make sense because if you're really dying of hypothermia or you're cold, why would you just knock on the window and have your buddy let you back in again? So when they went to this guy's house and they said, hey, we tried to talk to you earlier. Where were you? I didn't hear you. I was sleeping. I had a fan on. I was listening to music or something or other. He does show up at the ha- shows up at the front door. They said, we're investigating this. We actually have this strange, weird connection because one of our listeners, her son is son. the cremator there in town and cremated i think one of the bodies so whether there was an autopsy done or not i don't know when they determined when they said they weren't they didn't were not investigating as a homicide they tend to just take that body and cremate it but i maybe and we might be able to find out from one from the listener that maybe they actually did do an autopsy first on the because how do you have three guys watch the football game then watch jeopardy then go outside and then all pass away and they're not like they right. were in their eighties or nineties. I mean, these these guys were in their thirties, forties. Well, I, I don't know what they determined the manner of death is. I think they're probably waiting on that. It's probably undetermined right now because toxicology stuff takes several weeks. So they're saying that yeah, the the father said, <clears throat> I'm aware they may have done some substances that were questionable, but the idea was to get high, not dead. If they were supposed to be friends, why didn't the the other guy that owned the house come and find them Mm. and he he denies the fact that people that he saw a bunch of messages from family members saying hey where are these guys he says he didn't see any of that he saw a facebook post and that was about it um how long until this is on dateline well it has to be completely solved usually okay most of the time so it it depends Uh, if, if they're trying to get ratings and this becomes high profile enough they'll do like a 
you know, they did that for the Murdoch murders. They did that for the Idaho six that got killed. They did sort of a in-between story. Oh, because I'm telling you, your buddy would be all over this. <laughs> Making Jeopardy <laughs> references and football references. Right. Is he still in mourning? Uh, Matthew Perry was his stepson or something, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 let me give him a call. I don't okay. know. You but know what? He, uh, you know what I can do for you, Sherry? Hmm. My niece used to work with him at NBC, Dateline. Yeah. And knows him well. Really? Does she like him? Loves him. Oh, see? I knew he was a good guy. Do you want him to sign something for you? Or do you want to get <laughs> in the back seat of a car with him? <laughs> you mean the trunk of a car the with him? The trunk of a car. <laughs> the back seat sounds better. <laughs> Oh, oh. Ooh. wow. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Honestly, you ever made out the backseat of a car? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I mean, who hasn't? Who among us hasn't? Joe? I have, yeah. Andrew? I have, yeah. Nate made, made out in the backseat of a car. Oh, yeah. With the- <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. I'll be down there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs>